recently you have been purchasing items off of the wish list the, and the supply list for Camp Levi. And so a big thank you goes out to you. And you know, one really cool thing about this is it's not just our church family that is um, purchasing these items and giving. It's also people in our community who also really uh, believe in this great opportunity for us to serve families affected by disability. So just a, a big thank you. We're getting really excited. We're just a couple weeks away. There's still a couple spots left if you would like to serve alongside us. You can see Brent or Rachel Allstad out after the service.
right, everybody, if you would go ahead and find your seats. We are about to get started. I see more, pe I see more people at the coffee table this service than at the 9 o'clock service, which seems, you know, opposite of what it probably would be. But <laughs> if you go ahead and, and find your seats, um, and I'm going to have you stand again, um, <laughs> and uh, out of respect to the reading of God's Word. And if you would grab your Bible, we would love for you to have a copy of the Lord's Word in your hand. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, that's okay. You can go ahead and grab one of those blue hardback Bibles that you can find on those seats. If you grab one of those, you can turn to page 1032. We'll be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you have not met me, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Nate. I get to be the director of youth ministry here at JPC. Um, thank you to Dustin for allowing his youth guy to get up and preach the word of the Lord this Sunday morning. Um, so I'm super excited to be here. It's an honor. Uh, we're continuing with our summer series where we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. And this morning, we will be looking at this little known parable. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Christian, hear the word of the Lord. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down um, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But... A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The Lord replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Friends, my words will fade away, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be God. Go ahead and take a seat and leave your Bibles open as we pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks truth over our lives. We thank you um, for the work it does in our minds and on our hearts. And Lord, I pray that during this time you would open our minds to understand what it is that you'd have to give us this morning. And I also pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you would have to give us. Whether that be encouragement or correction, Lord, we're open to it all. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why do you help other people? Why do you love your neighbor? 
And I'm looking out at, at you guys, and I see a lot of familiar faces. I know you guys. Probably know your, your, your teenagers better, but I know a lot of you as well. Um, and, you know, I, 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 um, I, I've seen a lot of you guys help other people. I, I, I've seen you do really good things for other people. I've seen you go out of your way to help other people. Why? Why do you do that? I'm not going to quiz you. Like, nobody's going to, like, oh, like, I'm not going to know, like, your answer to the question. Like, you don't have to be ashamed of it. It's, it's your chance to be honest. I think some of us would say that we help other people because it's the right thing to do. Because I genuinely, I genuinely want to. Or maybe because the Bible says so. Or maybe it's because, like, that's just what I was taught to do as I was growing up. Or maybe it's, it's a bit of a combination of, of all of them for some of us. But friends, I, I said this back when I preached a couple months ago. And something I, I pretty regularly say to the youth group, there's a disconnect between what we know in our heads and what we believe in our hearts. And our work that we continually have to do as Christians is make sure that the things we read, make sure that the things we learn about God, the things that we understand about God, make its way to our hearts. And this parable is no different because just because I know something in my head, just because I read the parable of the Good Samaritan doesn't necessarily mean that I myself am going to be a Good Samaritan. It doesn't mean that I myself am going to love my neighbor as myself. My, my heart often doesn't want to follow what my head knows I should do. In the 1970s, there was a study conducted at Princeton Seminary, which is um, a school where people are trained up and, and, um, to, to become pastors or to go into ministry. And they took a group of, of these students, a group of these, um, these young men and women who are training up to, um, to, to be ministers, to be pastors, or to go into ministry. And they were instructed to prepare a sermon um, they, they, they would be alone in the classroom, and they, and they, would, they would write their sermon alone in solitary. Um, and then they would, they would head across campus um, to the radio station, and they would give the sermon over the radio. Now, with this big group of people, they, they, they sort of broke them into three separate control groups to see kind of, kind of how each group would react to the experiment. And, and group one... They, um, the, the goal with group one was to put like no time constraints on them. To, to make them as stress-free as possible. So they would have somebody come into the room where they were preparing the sermon, um, and, and they would say something along the lines of, hey, like, um, you, ha- you have a couple more minutes. You have about 10 minutes, but you can, you can start heading on over to the radio station right now. You might as well. So very, very few constraints. The second group, they, they put slightly more constraints. They, they put a time limit on them, but it was by no means pressing. So they have somebody come into the room where they were preparing the sermon, and they would say, hey, they're, they're ready for you now. Go ahead and head on over to the radio station. And in the third group, their, their goal was, was to, to put a lot of stress on them, to, 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 um, to, to have them rush, rush out the door and rush across campus. So they, were, they would come barging in. They were like, oh, my gosh, they were expecting you a couple minutes ago. They, Siri went off. They, they were expecting you a couple minutes ago. Like, like, get over there. They've started the radio broadcast already. They started without you. So, so no matter what group they were part of, so, so they would leave, whether they were sauntering across campus, where they, or they were running, they, they would head to the other side of campus where the radio station was. And on their way to the radio station, they would pass by a dark and deserted alleyway. And what was waiting for them in the dark and deserted alleyway, you might ask? Well, I'll tell you. 
It was a homeless man. And it was a homeless man clearly in need of assistance. He was, he was kind of hobbled over and coughing. And like, he, it's like, we should help this guy. It's like what they were, what they were going for. I mean, don't worry, this, this wasn't an actual homeless guy. It was an actor hired by the people conducted by the study, so we don't actually have to worry about this guy's health. And by the way, they, they had alerted the authorities, so if anybody did call 911, they, they would be like, oh yeah, there's like, it's for the study. But get this. As these seminary students, these people training to go into ministry, came across this, this homeless man in this deserted alleyway, Listen to these numbers. 37% of the first group, the group that had no constraints put on them, the group that was leisurely walking across campus, 37% of them failed to help this guy. Not even call 911. And the second group, the group where, 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 where slightly more constraints were put on them, where they had a, a clear time limit, 55% of them refused to help this guy. And the third group, the group where they were running across campus, where, where, where they were stressed out, 90% of them passed by this guy, clearly in need of assistance. Listen, you can be a seminary student. You can study to preach a sermon on loving your neighbor. You can, you can study to preach a sermon on a guy helping another guy in need and yet pass by a homeless guy in an alleyway. Friends, there is a sense that we as Christians are simply supposed to do. There is a sense that we are simply supposed to love our neighbors. Why? Because we are commanded by Jesus to do so. All throughout the scriptures, but especially in this specific passage, look down at verse 37 with me at the very end of this passage. What does Jesus say to end this parable? He says, now go and do likewise. We are commanded by Jesus to follow this command, to love our neighbors, to help those in need. But don't miss this. Every single one of these seminary students read that exact same passage. (laughs) They, They knew the command of Jesus. They wrote a sermon on the command of Jesus to love our neighbors. And yet they didn't. Yet they weren't moved into action. For them, loving our neighbors and doing likewise, being in Good Samaritan, was just another thing to add on to the list of things that we we're supposed to do as Christians that we're slightly reluctant to follow. But friends, I have great, for, I have great news for you. Gosh, I fumbled the bag. Friend, let me try again. Friends, I have great news for you. Jesus already knows this. Jesus already knows that we have a disconnect between our head and our heart. He already knows that, like, that we can't just simply take in commands. He knows that we also have to have our hearts moved. So in this passage, not only does he command us, he also compels us. He beckons us. Where do we see this? Where do we see this beckoning of Jesus? Well, let's first look at this interaction between Jesus and uh, this Jewish lawyer. Go ahead and look down in your Bibles with me at verse 25. This is when, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Pause. 
We see all throughout the Gospels, and by the way, like this Jewish lawyer isn't necessarily a lawyer as we would think of a lawyer, like a court of law lawyer. This was a Jewish man who had studied the 600 plus laws of Moses and knew them inside out and dedicated his life to them. Um, this is this is the type of man that we're talking about, a type of man who is deeply dedicated to the study of the word of the Lord and to God himself. And he comes up to Jesus, and we see this all throughout the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, there's constantly these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these high, upstanding religious men who, who constantly challenge Jesus, who go at Jesus, who want to trap Jesus, who, who, who egg him on to say things that they can use against him. And I think the, the, the thing that this guy thought that he was going to get Jesus on, I think he, he, he thought in his mind, because Jesus ate with sinners, because he, he identified himself with the lowest of the low, he probably thought that Jesus was just going to trivialize the law. He thought it would be like, Jesus, like, how do I receive an, a, 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 you know, eternal life? Oh, you know, everybody receives eternal life. You know, the, God's a God of grace and, and, and mercy, not a God of fire and brimstone. I think that that's what he thought that Jesus was going to answer his question with. But that's not how Jesus answers. That's not how Jesus answers. Really quick, I, I, I sort of want us to, um, let me do this. Raise your hand if you have at least one other sibling. At least one other sibling. And I know that there's people here that have like 10 siblings, but uh, for the sake of, of this, raise your hand if you have a sibling. Okay, now keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. If you would consider yourself the good sibling. <laughs> I see some hands still in the air. I see quite a few hands still in the air. Listen, I, uh, my hand is still raised. I would consider myself the good sibling. I told Landon during, during the first service on the live stream, he's in California, and I'm like, Landon, I want you to know that I would consider myself the good sibling. And here's the, the kicker. And, and this is what really got me, and I think some of you can identify with me on this, is that whenever my little brother was not necessarily being a good child of, of Rick or Michelle Moyer, or of God for that matter, <laughs> and he would get away with it, and nothing would happen to him, or his punishment wouldn't, be, wouldn't match the, the heinous act that he just did. <laughs> And if, that, if a deep anger wells up in you thinking of your little sibling or your older sibling getting away with something, if that like triggers you, I think that that's kind of, that's kind of how a lot of these, these, uh, these religious figures saw Jesus. They saw him as the parent who was just letting their annoying little siblings get off scot-free. Oh, they can do whatever they want. Jesus, like, I've studied, I've, I've done what you asked me to do. These people aren't doing what I've dedicated my life to doing what you want me to do, to loving my neighbor. These people do whatever they want, and yet you eat meals with them and you call us a brood of vipers. But I love how Jesus responds to this man. He responds to his question. He doesn't fall into his trap. He responds to his question with a question of his own. And by the way, Jesus is so good at this. He does this all the time. It's, it's so cool to see. It's so cool to see Jesus doing this. And he asks him a question. He says, you're asking me about the law of Moses. Well, you're the expert. You're the one who studied the 600 or so laws of Moses for your entire life. You tell me. And now this guy's trapped. He's like, if he doesn't respond, if he doesn't respond with the right answer, then he's going to look like a fool in front of all of, his, of the people that were lower than him. 
So he gives him the right answer. He, he says, love the Lord. Look, look, look down with me at, 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 verse, uh, at verse 28. Or at, at verse 27, sorry. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. This guy knew the answer. He was right. He studied the law. He knew that, 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 that the greatest commandment was to love God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He knew this. See, Jesus isn't, isn't just a parent that's letting his kids go off scot-free. He is following the command of his father to love his neighbor as himself, to love all people as himself. Notice how it doesn't say love your kind neighbor. Love your cool cat neighbor. Love your generous neighbor. Love your neighbor who has the same political views as you. Love your neighbor who has a similar background to you. No, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, period. No strings attached. And if you don't think that tax collector, if you don't think that prostitute is your neighbor, then you are fooling yourself, is what Jesus is saying. But this guy still wants to justify himself. It says in, in verse 29, look, look down with me at verse 29. It says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Are you going to tell me that, that some, some oddball is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds with this parable. He, 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 he dives in. He, in verse 30, it says, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So this Jewish man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, by the way, is, is the most dangerous stretch of road that Jesus could have chosen uh, for this specific parable. Jerusalem and Jericho was widely known as a place where robbers and murderers uh, lived and, and, and regularly jumped people. So this guy getting jumped was not necessarily a huge, would not have been a huge surprise to this Jewish audience listening to Jesus' parable. Because you know, on his way, he's he's viciously assaulted, and he's taken. Uh, you know, everything he owns is is taken by by these robbers, and he's left to die on the side of the road. But have no fear, a priest comes by. This holy man of God comes by. Oh, surely he'll help this guy. Surely this guy who's dedicated himself to the law, that knows the law of God, that knows that that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. Surely he's gonna help this guy. No. He passes by on the other side. To Jesus' Jewish audience, the priest would have been a guy that they looked up to, a guy that was upstanding, a guy that was better than them, that loved God better than them, and he passes by on the other side. But have no fear, another hero approaches, a Levite approaches. This guy is also a holy man of God. He takes care of the temple. Surely he'll stop to help this guy in need. No. He, too, passes by on the other side. One less guy to clean up after in the temple, right? 
And I know I'm being a bit facetious, but, but I, I'm, I, I, I'm serious. These guys were really, like, the best guys back then. Like, the, again, like, they were seen as, like, the tip of the top, like, who, like, people would aspire to be. They were, like, I don't know how we would view, like, Tom Brady, or I don't know. But, like, religious, I don't know, sorry. That's <laughs> how we would view Pastor Dustin, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a better one. Um, that's, a, that's a better one. Uh, I'm getting a raise on Monday. Um, no. <laughs> Listen, these are important guys. These were men who are doing really good things for the kingdom. These are men who fasted more than we would fast. These are men who, who prayed more than we probably pray. These are men who gave more to the temple, to God, than, than we would probably give. And yet they couldn't be inconvenienced. And yet they couldn't do the thing, the greatest thing that they could do, the greatest thing that God has called them to do, which is love your neighbor. Because they were inconvenienced. They didn't want to stop to help this guy. They didn't want to risk their lives to help this guy. Let's move on because along comes a Samaritan. Along comes a Samaritan. Go ahead and look with me at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. As Jesus was telling this parable, the Jewish lawyer and his widely Jewish audience, I'm sure, were thinking to themselves, this guy won't stop. Of course he won't. Why would he? He has absolutely no obligation to. And it was shock when they, they, they received when he actually did. Listen, I don't really have time to get into the long, complicated history between Jews and Samaritans, but for the purpose of understanding our parable today that's before us, um, just know that Jews and Samaritans really didn't like each other. Like, they would have viewed each other as, as quite literal enemies of each other. Not only because they were a different ethnic group, but also because they would have both claimed to um, worship the same God, worship the same Yahweh, even though their views on Yahweh were, were very different. It would be sort of similar to how maybe Christians today would view Mormons or view Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, not only were they, did they have a distorted faith, not only did they believe in a different Yahweh, but they were also a different ethnic group. They were a completely different ethnic group. So they were enemies of the Jews in a lot of different ways. The Pharisees and the Jews hated each other. The, the Jews, or sorry, the, the, um, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. The priests and the Levite, two men who came from the, the same ethnic and religious background, couldn't inconvenience themselves to stop and help this guy. Why would a Samaritan? And yet he does. He, he, he puts his life on the line by stopping in a dangerous stretch of road. Um, that, 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 this, that, that this same guy was jumped on. He nurses his wounds. He, he puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn. He nurses his wounds some more. At the end, he spends the night with him. And in the morning, he, he pays two denarii, which would have been two full days wages. That, that wasn't cheap back then. And, he said, and, and then he says, I'll pay even more if, if I need to. Listen, Jesus choosing a Samaritan as a hero of this story was no accident. 
Because by having a Samaritan radically loving and neighboring his literal enemy, he's showing us that as Christians, listen, our love is not dependent on how deserving the other person is of our love. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what group they're a part of, this is the type of love that Jesus has has told us, has commanded us to display. And he ends his parable in verse 37 by saying, now go and do likewise. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying that in order to be a Christian, that, that, that you, um, you must be constantly putting your life on the line for other people. But I think he is asking us two questions. Number one, are you loving all people? All people. Even your enemies. And number two, are you willing to inconvenience yourself to love your neighbor? Number one, are you loving all people? If you think about, you know, if you think about right now who you've loved, who you've invested in, um, picture those people in your mind in the past um, 24 hours. How many, let me ask you this, how many of those people weren't friends or family? How about in the last 48 hours? How about in the last week? How about in the last month? And while I'm not saying, you know, don't love your family or your friends, that would be ridiculous, um, I think Jesus would call us to do more. I think he would call us to love other people, not just our friends and family, to invest in other people. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 5, he asks his audience this question, what good is it if you love People that only love you back. Even the Gentiles and the, and the tax collectors do that. What are you doing to set yourself apart from them? And he asks us this same question. What are we doing to set ourselves apart? So question number one, are you loving all people? And question number two, are you willing to be inconvenienced to love your neighbor? Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if your love is convenient, that, like, it doesn't count. Um, But I would like to ask you this question. How often do you inconvenience yourself to love other people? For me, I'll admit it's not enough. I need to be doing more. And I hope that you would be honest with yourselves as well. But, friends, by, by God's providence, everybody, or most of us in this room, um, live in the Rogue Valley. And we've been placed in the Rogue Valley for such a time as this. In God's perfect plan, we are in the Rogue Valley. And do you know, friends, that there are over 10,000 registered, um, registered nonprofit organizations in the state of Oregon? Even in, in our own Rogue Valley, you know, there's, there's so many. There's the Medford Gospel Mission. There's Access, Hearts of the Mission, the Children's Advocacy Center, the Maslow Project. What Joy was just talking about with, with, with the home for, uh, uh, in the Organization for Expected Mothers. Even in our own church, we have, um, uh, we have Camp Levi, a, a, a camp for families affected by disabilities. Um, and... Um, we still need STMs to, to, to come and, and serve at Camp Levi. So there's tons of, tons of different ways that we can get involved in our communities and, and, and love our neighbors and, and inconvenience ourselves to love our neighbors. But I won't sugarcoat it. This isn't easy. 
Loving your neighbor isn't easy, right? I mean, loving your friends and family is hard enough, let alone your, your neighbor, let alone your enemy. Some of us know this better than others. <laughs> Understanding this parable in, in your head is easy. Letting it make its way to your heart is a lot harder. Listen, there have been times where, I'm, where like somebody's just like ticked me off for the last time. I'm like, I give up. Loving your enemies is so hard, God. Loving your neighbor is so hard. I've tried. I've tried, but I can't do it. I've tried to change my heart. I've tried to push what I know in my head down to my heart, but I can't seem to do it. I've tried. I can't do it. But friends, look at me. If what you get out of this parable, if what you get out of this sermon is I have to try harder. I have to try harder to inconvenience myself. I have to try harder to love my enemy, to love my neighbor. I think you've missed the whole point of the parable. Because what is this parable called? It's called the Good Samaritan. Not the good Jew. Not the good Christian. Again, this was a widely Jewish audience that, that Jesus would have been preaching this parable to. And by putting them on the ground... Instead of on the horse, Jesus is saying, you're not the hero of the story. You're the victim. And somebody else, somebody that you don't like, somebody who is your enemy, has saved you. Has neighbored you. Has loved you. This, this, this Samaritan who doesn't even believe this command, who doesn't understand this command, is doing a better job of following this command than some of you are. If Jesus had put, had put the, Jew, the Jewish man on the horse and the Samaritan on the ground, then the story would have been very similar, but, but it, the, there would have been one key change. The hero of the story, a man just like you, a Jewish man just like you, came across a Samaritan man on the ground, and you helped him, and he helped him. And he did all these things for him. If Jesus had said the parable that way, that wouldn't have moved their hearts. That would have just been another command for them to add onto the list of commands that they knew that they were supposed to follow. But again, by placing them on the ground, by placing the Samaritan on the horse, Jesus is saying, what if your needs were completely met by someone who had absolutely no obligation to meet them? Would that change your heart? But friends, we have a distinct advantage over this Jewish lawyer, over this Jewish audience, because we have been radically loved by someone who had absolutely no obligation to help us. We have been loved by someone who not only risked his life, but gave his life freely for us. We have been loved by someone who not only paid the cost for a night and an inn, but paid the cost for our sin and our mistakes and our brokenness with his own life. We have been loved by somebody who at one time was our enemy. Romans 5.10. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our good Samaritan. And he commands us to love other people, to love our neighbors as ourselves, not because he said so, although that would be enough already 
but because he has done the same for us. Christian, in order to truly be changed by the gospel, in order to jumpstart our hearts to follow what our heads already know, we must see ourselves as a man lying on the side of the road. We must see ourselves as truly saved by grace. We must marvel at the sacrifice of Jesus and stand in awe at the sacrifice. A tree doesn't grow fruit by trying super hard. Oh, I'm a tree. I've got to try to grow fruit. A tree doesn't grow fruit when, if the farmer yells at it. Grow fruit, tree. Why aren't you growing fruit, tree? No, a tree grows fruit when it's watered, when it's nurtured, when, it, when it's cared for. Friends, let this parable, let the gospel, let the word of God be that water. Let it saturate the soil of your heart. Let it change you from the inside out. Let it mold you. Let, let, let it fuel you. Let it move you in the direction of doing the command of Jesus, which is loving our neighbors as ourselves. And, that, and it's only when we've been changed by this radical love that we can go and do likewise. That we can uh, put ourselves in uncomfortable situations uh, and maybe even risk our lives to help those in need. That we may give up our money, give up our time, give up our energy, and give up our hearts to love our neighbors. Let me close with this. Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York recalls this story of an encounter he had at, with a woman at his church. A woman who would always come in quietly, sit alone in the back, and shoot out the very second that she could. And she did the, you know, the sort of same routine every Sunday for a couple weeks before he was finally able to catch her on her way out the door. He introduced himself and he asked her what brought her to the church. And she said, well, I made a mistake at my job. It was a really big mistake. And it was a mistake um, big enough to cost me my job. It was a fireable offense. But when my supervisor discovered my mistake, instead of rightfully letting me take the fall for it, he shouldered the blame. He went to the higher-ups and he said, you know, it's, I didn't train her well enough. That, this is on me. And as a result, he lost a lot of the credibility that he had at the company. He was a well-respected individual and he lost a lot of that respect because of what he did for this woman. And she had never had this happen to her before. She, she, she had superiors take credit for the things that she had done right. But she never had a superior take the fall for something wrong she had done. And she was so moved by this. She was so utterly confused by what he had done. She asked him why he had done it. But every time she asked him, he would always kind of dodge the question until finally her persistence kind of wore him down. He's like, okay. I'll tell you why I did this for you. It's because I'm a Christian. It's because I believe in a God who sacrificed his reputation and his life for me. And I just want to do the same to others. Friends, we're called to be like that supervisor. We are called to be like that good Samaritan. Verse 37, Jesus says, now go and do likewise as a command. We're called to love others in a self-sacrificial way and do the right thing, even if it may be inconvenient for us. But we must also realize that we are that woman who's made a costly mistake, 
that we are the man laying on the side of the road, and that we are desperately, we can't do anything, and we're desperately in need of grace. And somebody came along and gave that grace to us. Somebody else paid the price for our mistakes at a great cost. Christians, sit with that. Meditate on that and let the grace of God change you from the inside out. That woman didn't go to church because her supervisor told her to go to church. She went to church because she was utterly moved and intrigued by the grace of her superior. May we, Christian, may we be those people that utterly confuse people by our love. But may we also be utterly confused. May we also be broken. May we be moved by the fact that we have been given grace. May we be moved by the grace of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and um, we thank you for your son who came to this earth and radically loved us while we were still his enemies. While we were still sinners, he died for us. I pray that we would be changed by that. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would turn us towards you. I pray that we, you would stir our affections for you so, we, so that we wouldn't follow your command out of sheer obedience but by obedience and a love for you, by obedience and a drive to do what you've already done for us. Father, we need your help. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you change us from the inside out? Would you water our souls? Would you nourish us so that we may grow fruit? So we we may bring so many people to knowledge of you, to love you more because you're worthy of it. So we thank you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen.